Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Time to begin our services. Welcome each of you, and if you're visiting, we are certainly pleased you've decided to worship with us this morning. Um, if you are visiting, please take a moment, fill out an attendance card in the pew in front of you, and put it in a box in the back or give it to somebody. We'll like to have a record you were here today. Um, if you all would, take a moment to silence your cell phones, pick up a bulletin in the back, news, information, sick lists, upcoming events. Uh, two events I would like to point out uh, happening this week. Uh, Tuesday night, yeah, Tuesday night is the Addiction Seminar at 6.30. Addiction Seminar at 6.30 Tuesday night here at the building. Uh, dealing with, it'll just go over uh, how to, to overcome addiction and how to deal with uh, loved ones who are facing addiction, uh, ways that we can approach them and, and, and work with them uh, to overcome themselves. And then um, next Sunday night, Chris's sermon will focus on biblical aspects of addiction. So you can come back for that, bring your friends and family back for that. Um, Saturday, we have the Hometown Love Fair going on over to Fairgrounds. And if you can help with that, see Chris. Uh, was that like 9 to noon or something? 9 to noon. Uh, we need some people there to hand out some flyers, talk to folks. That would be a good opportunity for uh, evangelize, evangelism in the, in the area. Um, I want to start with the scripture this morning. I get my contacts working. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all of the earth, their words to the end of the world. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you stand for the first song, please? First in this morning, number 157, For the Beauty of the Earth, 157. <clears throat> for the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the sky, for the
Next hymn this morning, number 234, Higher Ground, 234. <clears throat> After this hymn, Brother Casey Baker will have our scripture reading and prayer. I'm pressing on the upward way through life I may need every reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 5. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us. We thank you for the day. We thank you for, for this assembly, Father, when we pray that as we're here, we, we focus and, and take to heart the lessons that are passed to us from your word, Father. Father, we pray for your continued blessings on the work of the church, the outreach, Father, the, the evangelism efforts that we are, are attempting, Father. We pray that you be with those who engage in that work and you bless them, Father. We pray for those on our sick list. 
those who can't be here today, Father, we pray that, that you comfort them and, and bless them. Father, watch over each and every one of us. Keep us safe. Forgive us when we sin. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 217, He Loves Me. <clears throat> 217. After this hymn, Brother Alvin, we'll have our, our Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Why did the Savior heavenly and come to earth below? Where did His grace love that song. Jesus didn't, in fact, love us so. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus made the statement, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And what was that will? What was his mission? Well, we know in Luke chapter 19, verse 30, one of the last words that Jesus spoke before he, his death was, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He says, it is finished. Jesus was communicating that the work he came for was accomplished. The task of earning salvation of the world was completed in his work on the cross. There's not going to be any more additions, no adjustments. Salvation was complete. The mission was completed, but Jesus was far from finished. The DBR, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, went throughout the world, and it turned it upside down. 
Nobody else could have done the things he claimed to do and things that he did do. As we partake of these emblems here, of our Savior's body and blood, let us remember that he made this sacrifice. It was part of God's will. It was part of the plan that he would be the, the once and final sacrifice for all of us. And let's also remember that he lives on. He died, and even though he's up in heaven now, he lives on through each of us, and we remember him, and we show his love and his life through what we do. When we partake of this communion, we are showing his death. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, we, we love you so much. We thank you so much for all you've blessed us with, that your will was always always correct and always right for us. Father, we pray that the mission that Jesus has accomplished, the salvation for the world, we pray that we will never take light of this, but always remember this great sacrifice on the cross. Remember that he died for each and every one of us so that we might have life. Now, Father, as we partake of this bread, which is the emblem of his body, we pray, Father, we might do so, which will be pleasing in your sight. May we be grateful for it. May we always tell others of the sacrifice. Father, please bless it and watch over us. Christ, let me pray. Amen.
Let's again go to our, our Lord in prayer. Father, we again come before you in humble prayer. Thank you, Father, and remembering the great sacrifice of Jesus. Father, as we partake of this fruit of the vine, which represents the blood that Jesus shed, we're reminded of the blood that dripped down his head from the thorny crowns, the blood from the lashings on his back, the blood from his pierced hands and feet. We remember he did this. He became the ultimate sacrifice for us, the Lamb of God. Father, we thank you so much that he was willing to do this so that we might have salvation. We pray now as we partake of this, we remember this sacrifice. Remember that it is Jesus whose blood we are remembering. Help us to do so in a manner that's pleasing in your sight. Christ, we pray. Amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper, but now is an opportune time we have together as fellow brothers and sisters to give back to the Lord a portion of what he has blessed us with. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you so much for the life you bless us with, for all the good gifts that we have, for our homes, our family, and all the material things you bless us with. 
But Father, we pray that you would help us to remind, remember these blessings and use our gifts to help further the work of the Lord, the work of the, the church here, Father. We pray that you would help the money that's collected be used wisely so that the, the word might be spread throughout our community and throughout the word. Father, we thank you again for all you bless us with. It's in Christ and we pray. Amen. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn, hymn number 598, Standing on the Promises. <clears throat> we'll sing the first three verses. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> Standing on the promises of Christ's body, proving the
The invitation hymn this morning, number 538, Prepare to Meet Thy God, 538. Brother Christian. Good morning. In 1610, Galileo looked up into the night sky and noticed that uh, Jupiter's moons were rotating around Jupiter, which was kind of a revolutionary thought because back then they thought, everyone thought that everything revolved around the Earth. A little bit later, Galileo is going to notice um, the, the phases of Venus, indicating that Venus doesn't rotate around the Earth. Venus rotates around the Sun. We, that's common knowledge today. We all, we all understand that things don't rotate around the Earth, that they rotate around the Sun. And so we are not the center of the universe, literally or metaphorically. But in Galileo's day, it was much less well-known. In fact, no one else knew it outside of him, and no one else wanted to hear it from him. They wanted to believe that everything revolves around the earth. Some of us still haven't gotten the, the memo, have we? <laughs> Some of us still think that a lot of the things, everything revolves around us, and you might be forgiven for believing that because you come at it from perspective, just like I come at it from, that everything is either to the left of me or to the right of me. In fact, if I were to say uh, the plants over there to my left, you're thinking, those aren't the left, those are the right, right? Everything revolves around us, but inside of Christ, that's different. Today we're looking at, and in fact, for the next month or so, we're looking at some villains in Scripture. Acts, starting in chapter 12 and going for the next several chapters, introduces us to four different villains we're going to look at and hopefully learn something from. Today our villain is Herod. Uh, he is uh, not the Herod that you read about in the, uh, in the Gospels. This is a different Herod. This is his grandson. Uh, this guy's name is Herod Agrippa I. There is going to be a Herod Agrippa II, and you get to read about him toward the end of the book of Acts. This is Herod Agrippa I. We'll talk more about him in just a second, but what I want us to learn from him is that the world doesn't revolve around us. Uh, this guy thinks that it does. Uh, and again, he might be forgiven for believing so, at least initially. Um, like I said, he is Herod the Great's grandson, so he has a family legacy. Um, probably not a family legacy that you would want. Herod the Great uh, is known as the king of um, Israel that killed all the infants the year that Jesus was born because he heard that there was a new king in Israel. Obviously, that's a threat to him, so he attempted to eliminate that threat of course, Jesus uh, made it through that threat. This is his grandson, Agrippa I. You see him here in the middle of the screen. Um, he grows up in Rome with every advantage possible. He inherits a lot of his grandfather's wealth. His, his grandfather, Herod the Great, actually had his father uh, killed. His father was, was murdered by his own uh, father. But Herod the Agrippa uh, I... Um, inherits all of Herod the Great's wealth. Not his title, just his wealth. And so the, the, uh, the title, the, the kingdom, is split out amongst uh, Herod the Great's other sons. And so Agrippa grows up in Rome. He's wealthy. What do you do if you're a wealthy young man in Rome? You live a prodigal life. And that's what exactly what, to fabulous fashion, that Agrippa I did. He did all the things that you could ever 
want to do all the evil, wicked things that, uh, that people do. Herod Agrippa did all those and then some. Uh, he is known in Rome for that. If you are known in Rome for being um, immoral and, and, and wicked, that's saying something. <laughs> and, but he is known in Rome as a prodigal son. And so he grows up there, makes one friend, at least one friend, uh, as prodigals do. They, he is apparently inviting this one friend, his name is Caius, over to um, all the parties and he's living life with them and they're doing all the things together. And that Caius grows up to be the emperor Caligula. You probably know Caligula from history, right? But he is the, the guy that will um, throne, that will anoint Agrippa I as king of Israel. He doesn't restore all of his lands. He doesn't restore all the lands that, uh, that Agrippa had, that Herod the Great had. But that's coming. The next emperor will do that. And so Herod Agrippa I will be king of Israel, just like Herod the Great was by the time we meet him here in Acts chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, be flipping over to Acts chapter 12 and let's meet this guy. Now we know a little bit about him. And history talks a lot about this guy. As a matter of fact, uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, talks quite a bit about Herod Agrippa I. And we're going to talk about his death in just a little while toward the end of our time together this morning. Um, but Josephus talks quite a bit about his death as well. And he backs up all the things that Scripture says about Herod Agrippa I, of course. And so um, we know this guy. He is not a good person. Um, in fact, he is an evil, idolatrous, immoral, bad person. Just that is, you know, that's who this guy is. Agrippa is not someone that you would want to be friends with. He's not someone you would look up to. Um, he is, he's not a very nice person. But here, in Acts chapter 12, you get to, you get to meet him. He's living in Caesarea. Uh, that's where his headquarters is. Uh, Pilate, his headquarters is in Caesarea. And this is important because last week we talked about Caesarea. Who else lives in Caesarea? Well, Cornelius, the centurion, lives in Caesarea. He's just now come to faith. And so I don't, I don't know how closely associated Herod Agrippa the first was with his centurions. There's only 10 of them um, in, in Caesarea. So I tend to believe he would have known them fairly well, um, at least enough to know what's going on in their, in their lives to some extent. And so I tend to believe that maybe he was aware of Cornelius' conversion. And so he, for whatever reason, wants to start persecuting the church. And, and that's, that's how this all happens. That's how Luke opens up introduces us to Agrippa I. He's the king of Israel who is persecuting the church. In fact, he has James beheaded. <clears throat> James, the brother of John, um, is, now, is now dead. And you need to see how Luke phrases this whole episode. <clears throat> so start in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. And listen to what, how Luke phrases why he arrested Peter, why Agrippa arrested Peter. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the, the days of unleavened bread. So why does he arrest Peter? Well, he did it because he's a bootlicker. <laughs> That's the best term for this guy. He's a brown noser. He, he, he's a people pleaser. Um, even though he's king, even though he has all this authority, 
Agrippa the first is, is a brown noser. He does things because it pleases other people. He's trying to uh, curry favor with the Jewish people. And so he does this thing, uh, arresting Peter, when he sees that they liked it, that he killed James. And so he goes and he starts trying to persecute even further the church. And so that's, that's who this guy is. Now, what's going on with this, this Feast of Unleavened Bread? Well, it happens during the month of Nisan. The, the, the calendar here behind me, uh, the 14th of Nisan is Passover every single year. It was this way in uh, Jesus's, uh, the year that Jesus died on Passover. That happened on Nisan 14 every year. Um, it's sometime around this time of, of the year um, where every year when Passover happens. Feast of Unleavened Bread happens the day after, the week after Passover ends. Um, so the 15th through the 21st on this calendar um, is when the Feast of Unleavened Bread would happen. So the 15th and the 21st are essentially Sabbaths. You can't do anything. You don't go anywhere. You, you, you just focus on God for those two days, including Passover. Um, and so he can't kill Peter during this time period because it's not really illegal, but it would be unseemly to have someone, an Israelite, executed during the time that they're remembering their safe travels away from Exodus, or away from Egypt in slavery. And so it would be unseemly. It would make him look bad. And he does not want to look bad. Agrippa is all about himself. He's a narcissist. Um, and so we can't, it's not about us in the church. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that as we learn a lesson from, from Agrippa. Um, but that, that's kind of what's going on. So he beheads, he kills James with a sword sometime before Nisan 14. It may have been the 13th, it may have been the 12th, maybe the 10th. I don't know exactly when it was. We're not told. History doesn't let us in on, on a date there either. Um, but sometime before Nisan 14, James is killed. Apparently, the church didn't know that he had been taken, um, or they would have been praying for him, much like they do Peter in just a, just a couple of verses. But this happens very quickly. Uh, and so that's, that's, I think, why they don't pray for James like they do for Peter in just a moment. But sometime in the days before Nisan 14, James is arrested. And sometime around Nisan 14, during Passover, maybe right before um, twilight, right before uh, sunset, Peter's arrested. The only problem is, with it is the timer's run out. Herod can't kill him because it's Passover and it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread and he does not want to appear evil. He doesn't want to appear uncouth. And so um, he waits until Passover's over to kill Herod. So, what happens? Well, keep reading. Check out what happens in verse 3. Uh, verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So he has him guarded by 16 soldiers. Four squads of four guys. Sixteen soldiers are guarding Peter. No doubt they took shifts. That's pretty common in the Roman world. But not every prisoner in this prison is guarded by sixteen soldiers. This is special treatment just for Peter. Uh, 
don't really know why, um, but for whatever reason, Herod thinks that, uh, that maybe Peter needs um, a few more guards than the average prisoner. And so he throws 16 guys at him. He puts them inside the inner prison and he shackles them. He handcuffs them to two guards. You know what Peter's doing during this night? It's, it's I think, uh, this night, Nisan 21. So on Nisan 22, as soon as the sun rises, Herod's, Herod's plan is to bring out Peter and have, have him executed right there, Nisan 22. Nisan 21, this is happening. Peter is fast asleep. He's not worried. Peter knows everything's fine. Even if he dies, everything's going to be fine. Because it's not about Peter, right? It's about God. And so... As long as God is being glorified, then Peter wins. And so here he is asleep, shackled to these two guards inside the inner prison. All of a sudden, an angel kicks him, touches his side, and he wakes him up. Um, so Peter wakes up, and the, guard, the angel says, stand up and undo the shackles, and the shackles fall off, and Peter's able to walk out of the prison. He walks out of the inner prison. The guards are fast asleep. He walks through uh, here in Raphael's uh, the liberation of St. Peter, you see him there in the middle section. The, the angel's waking him up. He's unshackling the, uh, the, the handcuffs, the chains. And then in the, the other side over here, he's, uh, he's leading him past the, the outside prison section. So there's two more guards there. They're fast asleep too. God has done this thing. This is a miracle. You're supposed to see it as a miracle. And so the angel leads Peter past those two guards. He leads him right out into the street. Um, the right side uh, is what happens in the morning. The, the guards wake up finally, and, and one of them notices that Peter's gone, and everybody's in the tizzy now. Eventually, Herod's going to kill all 16 of these guards because they allowed Peter to, uh, to leave. And so all of that as the backdrop to what's going on in... Acts chapter 12. So what makes, what makes Herod our villain for today? What makes, him, what makes him a villain? Well, this guy really liked the applause of people. He really wanted everyone to think well about him. Uh, and when that applause is taken away because Peter is released from prison in, in 1219... You know what he does? He, he has all 16 of these centuries, all 16 of the, the guards killed. He, he's throwing a tantrum, basically. Uh, in 1222, it seems like everybody knows what's going on uh, with Herod's flaw. Everybody knows that this guy likes the, the, the praise of men. Check out Acts chapter 12, verse 22. He's now in Tyre and Sidon. And uh, they, have, they have this problem with Herod um, because they need Herod. They need food from uh, his kingdom to be able to exist in Tyre and Sidon. And so the problem with Herod is nobody likes them. Um, and so they have been at odds, little butting heads with Herod uh, over the last little bit. And so now Herod has gone down there to straighten everything out, uh, to set them in their place. And he 
dresses up in his kingly robes, which is made out of uh, silver uh, thread. And so he stands up at noon and he delivers this oration and they play to his weakness. In 12.22, it says, they said that this is, he's speaking like a God. This is the voice of a God, not of a man. He's so eloquent. Look at him. He's shining like the, like the sun up there. This is amazing. And apparently this kind of just keeps on going for a good long time. Um, until finally God strikes him dead because he refused to give God the glory because he wanted it all for himself. He loved the spotlight. Remember, this guy is a narcissist. He's a type, he's the, the, the perfect type for a narcissist. He wants every bit of praise that he, can, that he can gain. He wants all of it. And so when these people call him a God, it just puffs him up. And uh, he wants more and more of it. But God strikes him down. He just strikes him dead because of this. He didn't give God the glory. Josephus tells us that he, this wasn't instantaneous. Uh, he, he suffered for about five days until finally succumbing uh, from, from, this, uh, from, the, from this death sentence. So that's what makes Herod a villain is his, his drive, his need for... Um, People's applause. And eventually, it killed him. Herod didn't really seem to care how God viewed him, did he? Didn't, didn't never entered into the equation. He didn't care how God looked at him. He cared how people looked at him. Right? That's, that's, that's his big problem. He desperately cared how people viewed him. They drove him to persecuting the church. So it's interesting here in Acts chapter 12, 24, that the persecutor of the church dies. But what happens to the church? The same thing that happens to the church every single time someone tries to stand in God's way. The word of God increased and multiplied. You cannot stop this movement. No one can get in the way of God. He is rolling forward and all of his enemies are either taken out of the picture like Herod is here or they're converted like Saul of Tarsus was. There's no stopping this movement. It's, he's, he's going to get done what he wants to get done and you need to get on board with him. We need to agree with him. That's what happens with the church, but what can we learn maybe from Herod? I think there's a lesson or two in it here for us. Flip back to Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Acts 12, 5. So Peter's back in prison. This is before the release, before the angel came into the, the prison and, and set him free. I'm curious what the church is doing. I know what Herod's doing. He, he's waiting, right, on the morning to come. I, I don't know if he's, he's, a, he's awake, maybe just waiting for the thrill of all the people that are going to say, way to go, Herod, you're so awesome. I don't know if he's waiting for that, but I know he's waiting. And I would imagine he's waiting on all these accolades that are, he's assuming will come his way. I know what Peter's doing. Peter's sleeping because it doesn't really matter if he lives or dies. Glory is to God. And so 
The church is going to be just fine with or without him, just like it will be with or without James. So it doesn't really matter whether he dies or not. He's just fine. I know what the guards are doing. They're sleeping peacefully, awaiting uh, their judgment from Herod. But I wonder what the church is doing. Do you know what the church is doing? They, they've entered into earnest prayer. I like that word, earnest, because it draws a distinction between their normal prayer life and what's going on here. These folks are given to prayer. We talked about that a little bit in our, in our Sunday morning class this morning. But the early church is driven by prayer. Um, they, they, they are uh, reliant on it in a way that we should be reliant on it. Um, it it's constant. It's continuous. It's daily. It's focused. But this is different. This, this prayer, these prayers are even more focused, are even more earnest than their normal prayers. At least that's what Luke indicates here, right? They entered into earnest prayer, fervent prayer, zealous prayer. That They're, they're so focused on this, this time together. They just lost James, right? They can't lose Peter too. Although even if they do and when they do, their church is just fine, and in fact, it thrives even after Peter dies because it's not about one guy. It's never been about one guy unless that one guy was Jesus. And so if you kill an apostle, the church thrives because that's what we do. We, we thrive um, under as long as we're under God's mission. And so they're, they're thriving, but they don't want to lose Peter. And so they enter into earnest prayer, and you find the, the, the story here in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 6, Peter is released from prison. He immediately goes to Mary's house. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus' house. It's Mary, the mother of John Mark. Um, and so she's a disciple in Jerusalem uh, as this is going on. And apparently Peter knows where the disciples are going to be meeting. They're going to be at her house. And so he goes over and he knocks on the door to her house. And you know, you know who comes forward. This is the greatest story. Um, Peter knocks on the door and Rhoda, this, this little servant girl, comes to the door and uh, she says, who is it? <laughs> and Peter says, well, it's me, it's Peter. And she's so excited, she doesn't open the door for him. I've never understood why she doesn't, come on in, you know, this is exciting. She doesn't do that. She leaves him standing there in the door, just having an escape from prison, and runs inside the house and tells everybody it's Peter, and they don't believe her. They think, oh, it's his ghost, or you're being um, dramatic, or, or you're just hearing things, or whatever. And so they just keep on praying until she insists that it is Peter outside the door. Finally, they go out, and they get him, they bring him in, and he tells them what all had happened. And um, uh, eventually, he says, well, I'm going to go to a different place, um, and, and he's safe there for, for a little while. And Herod searches for him, he can't find him, and he executes the prisoners. What's, what's interesting here is, is the distinction between Herod and the church. Herod wants what Herod wants, right? He, he wants to look good in front of the people. He cares what the people think. He doesn't care anything about what God thinks, but he cares deeply what the, what the people think. He's trying to curry favor with the people. What's interesting is who's the church trying to curry favor with? They're trying to curry favor with God. 
I, th- I think Luke wants you to see this distinction. Herod wants to curry favor with the people, but the church wants to curry favor with God, and Herod dies and the church thrives. So if you want to thrive, you have to curry favor with God too. You can't care what everyone else is thinking. We do what's right. We live passionate lives. We live wholeheartedly devoted lives despite and regardless of what people think. Focused lives on the cross and on our mission here in this place. Unapologetically so. Because we don't necessarily care so much what people think, but we're focused on currying favor with God. I think that's one of the things he wants us to see. I think it's one of the lessons we can learn from, from Herod Agrippa. We cannot care what people think about us, but we better care deeply what God thinks about us. We better be focused on currying favor with him. It's never about us. It's always about him. That's why I think Peter's sound asleep there in the prison, because he knows it's not about him. It's about God. And so as long as I can bring honor to God, I've won. I've done my job. If I'm trying to curry favor with everyone around me, with uh, with people and my friends and my superiors at work and all, that won't work. That's a useless lifestyle. There's no power there. There's no end goal there. If I'm trying to curry favor with my friends at school or, or wherever I'm at, if I'm trying to, to, to be the, the cool person or not whatever, there's, there's no strength there. The real strength comes from currying favor with God. Herod's the most powerful person in his kingdom. And he is so concerned with currying favor with insubordinates. History would call this guy a bootlicker and a brown noser. But he's so powerful. But he does these kind of things. It doesn't make sense. You take a step back and realize just for a second that the world doesn't revolve around you. Like we talked about with Galileo at the beginning. If we can take a step back just for a second and realize that the world doesn't revolve around us. But who does it actually revolve around? God. Who holds all things together. Who's in all things. That's what Paul would say in the book of Colossians, right? He holds all things together by the strength of his might. The world revolves around him. It's not us. And the minute I forget that, I fall into the same trap of Herod. It's all about me. It's about my pleasure. It's about my things. It's about me being happy. What's the book of Acts tell us about that? You can flip back over in your mind. You probably don't even have to do it in your your text, but just instantly go back with me to Acts chapter 2. What were they doing? What's the situation going on in Acts chapter 2 after the church has been founded? uh, There's so many that are needy there. What happens? The early church starts... Selling off all their stuff. Well, why? Your stuff's important. Remember, the, the world revolves around me. It's all about me. And so my happiness and my stuff, and that's not the way the other church dealt with it. It wasn't all about me. It's not all about me. It's all about you, really. Really, God first, right? 
and then you, and then me dragging up the rear. If we wanted to put things in, in chronological order, the way that we need to deal with the importance that we have is last. Because the world doesn't revolve around us, it revolves around God. And then I start looking towards your interests and not my own. And then I look towards my own interests. That's what the early church did. When somebody had a need, they didn't count their stuff as worthy to be held on to. That sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. The early church didn't think about their things as worthy to be held on to. Hmm. Seems like I've heard that somewhere else. Philippians 2, listen to what he says in verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Have this mind in yourselves. The same mind that Jesus had when he left heaven, emptied himself, not, not um, viewing his deity as something that he had to hold on to. The early church had got that lesson, hadn't they? They had learned that. Because they, when they saw each other in need, thought, this is just stuff. You're first. You're above me. So I'm going to count you as more significant than myself. That's Philippians 2, 5, or 3. So since you're more significant than me, you're certainly more significant than my stuff. So I'm going to give my stuff away so that you can thrive. So if you're more important than my stuff in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 12, you're more important, at least God is more important than my life. All in, right? That's what, what we keep coming back to this idea in Acts. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no middle ground. There's no room for lukewarmness. There's no room for half-hearted Christianity. You're either all in or all out. Peter's all in. The early church is all in. They are happy to give over and give of themselves so that God can be glorified and so that each other can be thriving. But I think it starts with this idea of I'm not second. I'm third or fourth or on down the line. I'm not the center of the universe. Everything doesn't revolve around me. Everything revolves around God. And when I can get that in my head, when I start looking at the world like that, I think everything changes. I think there's power there. I think that's a lesson we can learn from Agrippa I. You can't be like this. The church has never been like this where it revolves around us. It's always been God-centric and people-centric. In fact, when Jesus was asked what the greatest command was, do you remember what he said? Love God with everything you got, right? Heart, soul, mind, strength. Love God with everything you've got. And then the second's like it, right? So the church is and needs to be God-centric. We're focused on God. But then the second commandment's like the first one. We are also people focused 
You love your neighbor like you love yourself. This is our mission. This is who we are. This is our lifeblood. It's not about us. It's about others. And so we are others focused. And we make sacrifices so that we can put God at the center of our lives, center of our universe, everything revolves around him, and put others first. That's the, I think that's the lesson we learned from here at Agrippa. This morning, if you're struggling, we want to pray that you can be everything that God would have you to be, that you can bring honor and glory to him, uh, that you won't be focused on yourself. That's something we struggle with. But I think it's something we need to overcome. Today, if you've not been baptized into Christ, you're, you're lost in your sins and you're, you're still struggling. And that doesn't have to remain the case. That can be something that, that you put, to, put away today. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul reminds us that you're, you're not your own. And that's, that's, what we, that's what we agree to at our baptism. So maybe you're ready to agree to that today. I'm ready to die to myself and put him on in baptism. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Good morning. It's 
Just a few announcements before we're dismissed. Uh, there'll be a deacons meeting this evening at 5 p.m. Uh, also this Tuesday, the Young at Heart will meet here at the building at 10:30 a.m. and we'll be heading to Heart or be heading to uh, excuse me, bombshells and burgers for lunch. Also, uh, as Jeremy mentioned earlier. Uh, couple other activities this week. Uh, this Tuesday will be the addiction seminar here at the building at 6.30 p.m. And also this Saturday will be the hometown love uh, event at the fairgrounds. If you could help out with that, uh, setup is at 7 a.m. And then uh, 9 a.m. is when the event uh, starts. And I'm sure we could use all the help uh, that we can get to uh, the man the booth for that. Next Sunday, if you are interested in learning more about the upcoming family mission trip that's going to be taking place this summer in July, I'll be traveling, um, group will be traveling to Beckley. There'll be a meeting right after morning services, uh, so I encourage you to uh, stick around. Again, if you are interested in that and want to find out more details. Also, at the end of this month, April 24th through the 26th, will be a gospel meeting at Flatwoods. And uh, in May, just go ahead and put this on your calendar, will be our senior reception. So this will be for our graduating high school seniors. So that will be coming up uh, soon. Also, uh, there's a schedule on the bulletin board for mowing. If you could help out with that, uh, I know Greg would greatly appreciate that. You can just sign up uh, if you're able to, to help out. Also on the uh, prayer list, uh, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Jim Haney, Terry Leap, and Amber Spitzer in our prayers. And uh, also just encourage you to pick up a Rome journal. It has all the uh, announcements. That'll be uh, all the events coming up in the next month or two here at the building, as well as all of those that are on our prayer list, as well as our shut-ins. Let's make sure we keep our, our shut-ins and our prayers as well. So that's all the announcements that I have. Um, hope everyone has a good afternoon and want to invite you back to be with us this evening at 6 p.m. And we'll have one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 853, God is so good. <coughs> and after this hymn, Brother Drew Clark will do some prayer. God is so good. God is so good. God.
pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to come here this morning to examine your word and to sing praises to you. Father, we pray that uh, for everyone here in attendance today that we can apply those lessons to our lives and we pray that potentially someone's heart was touched in a manner that they can improve their daily walk with you. Father, we pray that you'll watch over us in the rest of the week as we go forward. We pray that you will help us to make decisions and to lead lives that are pleasing unto you. We pray that you will keep us safe until we do return at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.